Uh, when I was a kid, I always found myself in the kitchen playing with pots and pans, and now I'm a chef. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. Hi, it's Ben. Just a heads up that this episode was recorded before LA County's Department of Health announced that it would suspend outdoor dining from November 26th until December 16th. In this conversation, you'll hear Chef Phil Castell mention the outdoor tables that he had set up at the Milky Way, which will become available again once the LA County Department of Health allows restaurants to resume outdoor dining. In the meantime, if you are able, I encourage you to support restaurants like the Milky Way with takeout and delivery orders. Hope you're staying safe and enjoy the episode. My guest today is a talented executive chef and restaurant consultant, Phil Castell of PK&J Hospitality Group. For over 12 years, Phil served as executive vice president of culinary for LA-based Grill Concepts, Inc., where he was responsible for culinary operations of 29 restaurants nationwide, including the public school brand. Prior to Grill Concepts, Phil served as executive chef of Hillstone Restaurant Group, where he was responsible for kitchen operations, menu development, and training. Phil is currently the creative chef at the Milky Way, the beloved Pico Robertson kosher restaurant that's owned by the Spielbergs. In his current role, he's jumping at the challenge of thoughtfully redesigning the space and creating a new American kosher menu while paying homage to the legacy and unique tastes of Miss Leah Adler. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Phil. Thank you. So I want to start by asking you about the years of experience you had at corporate restaurant groups like Hillstone and Grill Concepts and I'm curious, what do you think distinguishes these two groups? Because whether you're in L.A. or elsewhere in the country, you've either heard of the restaurants you've worked at or you've had the good fortune of dining at them. So I'm wondering, you know, what do you think makes these groups as as successful as they are? I mean, you know, for me, I would say Hillstone is is probably, you know, like you said, it's it's that one that sets the bar in every restaurant tour, chef, GM, you know, server, whatever, who who visit these restaurants. There's something that brings them back and back every single day and or every time they eat there. And I think honestly what it is is it really it's consistency and execution, you know, and someone like Hillstone Restaurant Group, Hillstone Restaurant Group, they execute on all levels, whether it's from service, whether it's from food, they don't work on, you know, having a huge menu. It's more fresh ingredients, seasonal ingredients, and executing a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. And some people get really frustrated with it, you know, but at the most, at the end of the day, everyone still goes back to these restaurants, you know, because they execute 100% of the time, you know, and I think that's really what the most important thing is about, you know, Hillstone Restaurant Group. Um, you know, people always laugh and they're like, oh my God, well, like, you know, how do you wait in line, you know, for two hours, you know, they, they don't take reservations, they don't do any of that, but you're going to really wait there to eat, you know, some ribs for two hours. Yeah, because every time I eat there, the ribs are fantastic. They're never changed. They're always hot. They're the best every single time. They're consistent and I get great service, you know, so I think honestly, it's execution is really the key to all of this. Um, Grill Concepts, 
Kind of same thing, you know? I mean, they've got different brands. What was nice about the Girl Concepts is that with them being around for 30 somewhat years, for me being in LA, it was something that my parents ate at. You know, they may have eaten at the Grill in the Alley. They may have eaten at Daily Grill. Um, then the younger generation, then it was my generation. So then it was like, okay, well, Daily Grill was somewhere where maybe you ate for lunch, but you didn't eat for dinner, you know, but you knew the concept because your parents ate at the concept before. You know, and then with public school, that was just a whole fun little thing for me to do, you know, at one time. So that was when ownership wanted me to start creating a gastro pub. And so for me, that was a blast because it brought me to the current time, you know, to create a gastro pub. So. Yeah, back when I was an assistant at WME, the grill on the alley was a consistent booking spot for the people who worked there. So I, I remember it vividly. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. and, you know, you just mentioned you came up with the culinary concept for public school, which has, you know, locations across the country. And I'm curious, how do you go about creating a menu, just generally speaking? And then, you know, when you have to account for diners in Atlanta need to enjoy this as much as diners in L.A., you know, and they, yeah. they have to get the concept and enjoy it. How do you what are the factors going through your mind when you're creating a menu, whether it's for, you know, public school brands across the country or whether it's for a family owned restaurant like the Milky Way with one location in Pico Robertson. Are there certain certain elements that you always go back to when you're starting to build out a menu? Yeah, I mean, you have to really start with what the concept is. You know, I mean, the Milky Way, and I know we're gonna get into the Milky Way a little bit more, but the Milky Way is, <clears throat> it's a, it's, you know, it's a specific concept. It's a orthodox kosher, you know, concept. Public school being a gastropub where your demographic was going from, you know, late 20s to early 40s was your main demographic. You knew that a gastropub, what it was and what it needed to have in it, it needed to have pub food, it needed to be a beer centric concept. Um, so anything that paired well with beer and artisan cocktails. So you kind of knew. Um, public school was a little bit easier to uh, expand into different markets uh, because it kind of all, it, it went through different markets, you know what I mean? And that style of food, whether you're eating in Atlanta or whether you're eating in Los Angeles, um, it's kind of the same when it comes to a beer center concept. Um, but, you know, for me, I mean, I do a lot of research, a lot of research um, on trends, on what's going on, what other chefs are doing. Um, obviously, pre-pandemic, a lot of eating out, not eating out a lot now, but definitely sporting a lot of local restaurants. So still trying to see what other chefs are doing. Um, but that's really the main thing, you know, I think, I think public school was, it was a lot of fun to play with flavors. It was a lot of fun to, um, play with different types of ingredients and markets, you know, and really seeing what's sold in Los Angeles versus Atlanta versus Denver, you know, and then also introducing obviously local fares in those restaurants, in those areas as well, you know? Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the Milky Way is your first experience with a kosher restaurant. Is that right? First one. Yeah. yeah. So what's that yeah. been like? Uh, Milky Way was fun. Milky Way has been fun. It's been a, it's been a real challenge. Um, but what was great about the Milky Way is, you know, when, when Leah passed away, you know, several years ago now, you know, they weren't sure what to really do with the Milky Way. Um, but they knew, you know, they wanted to kind of revamp the concept, you know. Um, but prior to her passing away, everyone would go to, you know, Milky Way, obviously, to eat. I mean, that's why you go to a restaurant in the first place. But they would really go to see Leah. I mean, she was just this, you know, 
larger than life personality, you know, that just welcomed you with open arms and would visit you at the table and make you try this and make you try that. But that's why people ended up really going, you know, towards the last, you know, several years was just to really be entertained and see Leah. So after her passing, they weren't really 100% sure what, they, what direction they wanted to go into. But, you know, they did, they did a lot of vetting too, you know, and they brought me aboard and, and they loved Hillstone. They loved the background with Hillstone. They loved the background with the grill on the alley and public school and all that other kind of stuff. And I, I just met with them, you know, and it was very interesting. I met with the, you know, the family itself and I, there was just this connection, you know, there's this warm connection that Leah had obviously with her guests that, you know, transcended into, uh, you know, her, her children, you know, and I worked very closely with Nancy, um, her daughter, and we just hit it off. And so to come in, it was like, all right, well, you know, do you know kosher food? Well, no, I, I don't know a lot of kosher food. I've eaten kosher food, or at least what I thought was kosher food. Um, so for me, it was a big learning experience, but it was a blast because, you know, they had Leah, Leah was so ahead of her time in the kosher community, you know, um, when you go back to it, I mean, she opened this restaurant back in the seventies, um, late seventies, and she was a, a pioneer woman that just loved like bold flavors. I mean, like she would serve chimichangas. I mean, whoever had a chimichanga in a kosher restaurant, you know, she would serve, you know, pot stickers. And I mean, you would just be like, what? You know, this is a kosher restaurant. You know, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking, you know, just, I don't want to say bland food, but food that's a little bit less flavorful. You know what I mean? You're thinking blintzes, potato pancakes, which are great. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, you're not thinking, you know, Thai chilies and you're not thinking, you know, you know, Mexican food. You're not thinking about all these Spanish flavors and everything like this. But she did, you know, and she really brought that to to the Milky Way. So with them, it was a blast. You know, they brought me in um, about three years ago to really kind of learn the food and learn the concept. You know, Leah herself had this book of recipes that she always ran there, but they were literally like my grandmother's recipes. They were just handwritten on little pieces of paper. And I had to kind of like figure it out. You know, they were like, all right, well, here's the recipes. And they're like, we need to make it, make it like, you know, mom made it. And I'm like, okay. So I'd make it and be like, a, you know, a handful of this, a pinch of that. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, this isn't going to work this way, you know? So um, it was a lot of fun cooking for them. And it was a lot of fun trying to um, figure out her recipes, you know, but I, I did a lot of research on kosher uh, food on orthodox orthodox food on being a dairy restaurant versus a meat restaurant. I mean, there's just, there's so much involved in it, you know? Yeah. I think a lot so. of people who might not be familiar, like you just said, a dairy restaurant versus a meat restaurant, orthodox <laughs> Jews don't, don't mix uh, meat and dairy in the same meal, which is why like across the street from you, there's a restaurant Nagila that literally has a meat section and then kind of a mini fence. And then you have the dairy <laughs> section where they'll have pizza. Um, but yeah, I mean, from a culinary side, were there any what, what were some of the challenges that came with designing a kosher menu? Um, was it difficult at all figuring out like parv, dairy, all these, all these new concepts that you might not have been as familiar with? You know, I wasn't familiar with it, but it was, it was really interesting. The more research I did, the more I realized that a lot of food is already kosher. A lot of yeah. food is already kosher certified. It's really just, honestly, in my opinion, it, it's a cleaner 
more regulated way of eating, to be honest with you. It's very, tre it's very trend forward right now. You know I mean? When people think about it, they don't really think about it, you know, because we think about, you know, eating clean, eating healthy, eating from farmer's markets and seasonal ingredients. I mean, that really is kosher eating. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Almost, you know, um, the, the great thing about it is that we do have an on-site mashkia. And so a mashkia is, for those who don't know, is kind of a rabbi who oversees the, you know, kosher rules of the restaurant. So what was great is to have him be my resource. So anytime I wanted to bring in an item that I wasn't sure about, I ran it by him. He did the research. He made sure whether it was kosher, it wasn't kosher, or why I couldn't bring it in, or, you know, how I could process it, or how I couldn't process it. There's a lot of rules, you know. Um, some of them are silly. Some of them are silly and made me laugh, you know, but, but these are rules that have been around for, you know, thousands of years, you know what I mean? They're just rules, you know? Um, so it, it was a fun, challenging experience. Um, I think my biggest challenge was how to take uh, this pioneer woman's legacy of recipes and make them current. And, and I think and how to bring them up to today's and not actually just create a, a menu for the Orthodox kosher community, but to also create a, um, a menu for everybody else that can dine there, you know. Um, as you mentioned, I mean, where, where it's located, it's, it's very Beverly Hills, Century City adjacent, right? And with obviously the studios being nearby and so forth like that, we were able to get a lot of you know, industry lunches and try to get those people in there, but what were we going to serve them? And we were really marketing about doing um, fresh seasonal ingredients, you know, and that's what we're doing right now. You know, we're rotating the menu, you know, every, every three or four months, bringing in seasonal fish, bringing in seasonal vegetables and the guest base loved it. You know, I mean, right now it's a little bit tough, obviously, because all we have is the, uh, we have a little sidewalk patio going on right now uh, in the middle of everything, but um, it's really good. You know? Yeah, I was just going to ask, and I think you, you've mentioned a bit now, but in Pico Robertson, that's a strip that is filled with kosher restaurants like yourself. Mm -hmm. And I was curious what you think helps distinguish, you know, the Milky Way aside from the legacy of Leah Adler. What do you think helps distinguish it from all the many the kosher options? And, you know, one of the things you just mentioned, obviously, is the fresh ingredients and changing it up seasonally. Another thing that I thought was really cool was I saw photos of date night under the sukkah. And I think you know, coming up with innovative experiences like that is definitely something I hadn't seen before in the Pico Robertson area. So can you talk a little bit about experientially how you how you mix it up at the Milky Way as well? Well, we've, again, like you just said, I mean, I think it's been our biggest challenge and we constantly do new things to try to keep up, up with trends and try to kind of make us a little bit different than your average kosher restaurant up and down Pico Boulevard, which is known as like it's known as like the Borscht Belt. Um, and it, it's it's really interesting. There are a ton of kosher restaurants. I, I, I'm very partial to ours, I would have to say, and say it is probably one of the most, you know, a little bit of a finer dining, a little step up a little bit. White tablecloths, really kind of nice, um, compared to some of them are a little bit more casual. Uh, we really were trying to market after the younger uh, Orthodox families that live in the neighborhood. 
uh, versus our parents' age, you know. Um, granted, there's something for them as well, but we really tried to do that. So we partnered with the Shul, which is right next door. Um, and the Shul actually started to come up with some of the date night under the sukkah, you know. And so we created, we took our back parking lot and we turned it into a sukkah and we did a date night there. Um, Pre-pandemic, we, we did a date night under the stars, but we did it inside the restaurant as well. And it was very, it was fun, you know, we did kind of like a little speed dating thing where, you know, you can go from table to table and did like little prefix menu just to get a younger demographic in there, you know. Um, we also, other things that we've come up with, which is kind of on hold right now, is we did a Sunday brunch, which you don't see kosher brunches out there at, at restaurants, you know. So we did a kosher brunch because brunch is very cool. It's very hip. Everyone likes to brunch, um, especially, uh, you know, the... 30, 40 groups, and that was great too. And we did live music, you know? Leah was a pianist, so we kept her original piano in the restaurant. And one of our servers was a piano player, and then we ended up hiring a piano player. So every day people would come in and, you know, we would have mimosas and blintzes and mimosas and potato pancakes, you know? But it, it, was, it was really a kind of a lot of fun to come up with different things. I'm curious, you know, as a chef, I, I would think, until recently, the busiest times for you were likely Fridays and Saturdays, which, of course, now you're closed at the Milky Way um, because of the Sabbath. Was that kind of weird getting used to or was it well, like a welcome addition getting your Fridays and Saturdays back? Well, I mean, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's, yeah. it's weird because people don't understand. It was even weird hiring for it. Like when we yeah. had to hire new servers and new cooks, you know, and I would explain to them and I'm like, all right, I'm like, you know, I'm hiring you here. You're off Fridays and Saturdays, you know, and even cooks and service servers are like, what do you mean I'm off Friday, Saturday? I'm like, it's a dream job. You know, I'm like, this really is like a dream. If you're in the restaurant industry, I mean, to hire a GM and to hire cooks, I'm like, and you're off Friday, Saturday. They're just like, what are you talking about? I'm like, those are generally in any restaurant. They're the worst. I mean, they're not the worst days, but they are. They're the long, hard days. You know, you're getting hit every single minute, you know, and you're just busy, 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 busy. And to have those two days off, it, it was, it, well, I don't want to say it's difficult, but it was weird. You know, it was just very weird to get used to having off Fridays and Saturdays when you can now go actually and entertain yourself and, you know, go be on the date night on Friday, Saturdays at another restaurant, you know, if you were dining out. But, you know, to, to hire people and tell them that, you know, you're off Fridays and Saturdays was a little bit an adjustment for everybody. Um, and especially for my general manager. I mean, you know, she was just like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's a dream job. I'm like, you're off Friday, Saturday. I'm like, even though everybody wants Sunday off, I'm like, you work Sunday through Thursday. I'm like, it's yeah. fantastic, you know? So it's kind of fun. So that, that's one of the changes, obviously, unique to a kosher restaurant. As you think about your experience, you know, in the corporate environment versus working at a family-owned kosher restaurant, um, were there were there any things that that um, took some time to to deal to deal with or process or get used to or did you find it to be a fairly seamless transition? Cooking is cooking. Um, I, it's, it's it's I wouldn't say it was seamless. I said I would think where the challenges were was training some of um, training and teaching some of uh, the existing employees. <clears throat> excuse me, how to um, bring current techniques and current um, 
systems in place into a single operation versus being a corporate environment. You know, when you have a corporate restaurant of 20 restaurants, 30 restaurants or whatever it is, there, there's, there are systems in place um, from health and food safety to ordering, to service, to cooking techniques, that there's a system that's in place. When you have one individual, uh, you, you don't necessarily, I don't wanna say bend the rules, but you don't necessarily hit every single, um, you know, mark every single time and they're not used to it every single time, you know? So the, the cooks may not be used to cooking a certain technique because you're only making it for just one restaurant, you know? So to teach a team that this is how a recipe is written, this is the yield on the recipe, this is how many orders you're supposed to get out of it. Um, I think that was a challenge to teach some people that. Um, I think that was kind of a little bit of the challenge. Um, you know, having one restaurant is not an easy thing because you have to obviously hit every mark all the time, right? Because you have financial responsibilities for this one restaurant. So I think it's really important to be able to teach these um, individuals that I work with that why it's important to cost out every recipe. Why is it important to measure every recipe? Why why is it important? I mean, I mean, a dollar is a dollar, you know what I mean? And it's a dollar is to that restaurant, you know, you don't have 30 restaurants where maybe one restaurant makes, you know, $100,000 and one restaurant makes only $10,000. Right. And then there's a blended cost and a blended profit margin, right? This is one restaurant. So everything that goes in that restaurant goes out that restaurant and, and there's a financial responsibility. So I think that's probably the biggest difference between the having several and having one is that you know you have to manage a little bit harder you know teaching to shut off the lights shut off the air conditioning make sure the gas is turned off make sure this is turned off make sure you're answering your phones you know it, there's there's a lot of responsibility in running one restaurant versus 30 restaurants mm -hmm. there's still responsibility in 30 restaurants but you know like i said it's a blended cost and you may get more of a price break on certain purchasing items when you have 30 restaurants versus one item restaurant. So you're paying more for certain ingredients than you would be paying in a grill concepts. You're paying more, you know, for per hour on labor than you are in other restaurants and so forth. You know, you have added expenses being a kosher restaurant. Right. And a while back I had Shannon Tooby from JS2 PR and the Milky Way is one of, you know, her clients. And she, we, we had a conversation, we talked briefly about the role of food influencers and social media and how that's changed the game and how it's become so niche. There are even kosher food influencers like Jew Hungry was a name I remember she threw out, which I love. I love that Isn't name. That um, so I'm <laughs> curious, you know, how, how has that kind of changed your approach, if at all, the rise of social media and, and food influencers? Is there additional pressure to you know, work on the presentation of a restaurant and dishes to make them Instagram friendly. How, how has all this factored into your approach as of late? I mean, I, I think so. I mean, look, I mean, we can't get away from social media. It's all over there. You know what I mean? People are going out and they, they, the first thing they do is they take their phones and they snap a picture of what they're eating, you know? So do, so do we, do we look at that as we create food? Sure we do, you know, but I mean, obviously the number one, 
uh, it, you know, thing is to make sure it tastes good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's what you're going there for. Um, but, you know, social media has played a big role in it. Um, we have our social media accounts. I love that we have great followers on it. You know, people are curious about what we're serving. People love that the idea that we're bringing in new items, you know. Um, so when, when the menu changes, we post all about it, you know. So that's been great. Um, our influencers have been fantastic coming in, dining with us. Again, I think it's, the, I think a lot of fun for us is to be able to teach the non-Orthodox community what we're about, you know? And I think that's been the fun part, you know, like Impossible Burger. I mean, yeah. not that they need any plugs or anything, okay? But I mean, there's so many plant-based products out there, right? But to be able to come to a, a kosher dairy restaurant and have a cheeseburger per se made out of impossible burger was a huge thing you know because you can go have an impossible burger at any other restaurant right. you can go have an impossible burger, but to have an orthodox kosher person to be able to go to a dairy restaurant and put cheese on their burger now was huge because they couldn't mix cheese and meat like you mentioned earlier so now you're eating an impossible burger that tastes like meat as long as it's cooked properly with cheese lettuce tomato thousand island the whole nine thing on a brioche bun oh my god it'll trick you you're eating a cheeseburger you know <laughs> so i think those were kind of a lot of the fun things that we've been able to play with, you know, um, doing meatballs with meatball, uh, impossible meat, you know, putting cheese on top of them, having, you know, I mean, there's just so much fun things to do on Instagram. And I think our influencers really enjoyed seeing that, you know? Yeah. And, and I think influencers are a key part of getting a foothold in a, in a community, especially in LA where you have so many options. I'm curious, you know, you've, you've had experience launching, restaurants and i think you've had experience you know with existing concepts and making them grow even more what was the what was the process of when you're coming to the milky way which has been around like you said since the 70s and what's the key to engaging you know outside the the existing diners that you were getting for years you know What's the key to gaining new business? Yeah, I mean, I mean, is there because I've heard, you know, the opening of a restaurant is is crucial from what I remember in my conversation with Shannon. That is kind of, that that can be a make or break moment. It's very important. Yeah. Um, so how did you how did you approach the revitalization when you first got to the Milky Way and, you know, getting people like Jew Hungry or whoever it is to come to come in and check out the Milky Way? You know, I mean, it's, it, there's, there's several different ways to do it. You know, I mean, we were very fortunate to um, be able to close down for about a little over a year, um, but really still be able to tease, um, you know, the social media out there, um, you know, tease the eaters of the world, all those other types of, you know, online um, bloggers and so forth, um, that we were coming back and that we were opening. A lot of it was word of mouth. We did, you know, obviously bring on the PR company like Shannon, you know, and they were fantastic at JS2 being able to support us as well. Um, but a lot of it was word of mouth. You know, there was a lot of that demographic and, and even to your point, you know, it was weird. The Milky Way's been around since the 70s. So to get all of a sudden this new era of younger demographic of their children's and even their grandchildren now coming in was crazy. And they were like, I remember coming here with my mom and dad. I remember coming here with my grandparents. Oh my God. They wanted to come in and really see what we did, you know? And, and Leah, everybody misses Leah. 
everyone comes in and goes, oh my God, she would love this. I can still see her, you know, dancing down the, you know, dining room. I could all still see her, you know, greeting us at the front door. So there is a big nostalgia um, and warm feeling about this restaurant. People love this restaurant. They really do. Even if they don't know anything about it, they really quickly learn to love it. Um, so we, we were very fortunate enough not to have to struggle too much on the PR standpoint, um, you know, but we went out there and we did a couple of other offsite events too. We partnered with like Cedar sinai and did a couple of, um, you know, cancer research events when we first opened and we're out there and had a booth. And I think a lot of restaurants do that as well. You know, they get out there and do a lot of those tastes and um, you know, dine LA's and things like that to really kind of get your name out there. So we were able to do some of those as well. Um, and people, again, they would find us and they were like, oh my God, the Milky Way, we haven't been there in years, you know? So it was good. And have you found that that loyal base of customers has, has been super helpful during these challenging times? I'm, I'm very curious what it's been like, you know, with the, with the additional challenges now imposed by the pandemic. How have you been able to navigate that as well as you have? It's interesting. It's been a slow, um, it's been a slow restart. You know, we shut down like everybody else in March um, and then kind of slowly started to do, and we didn't, we, we just actually completely just shut down because we weren't doing a lot of takeout and delivery um, prior uh, to the pandemic. And only because again, with the kosher rules, uh, there are some very strict rules on takeout, you know, whether we have like labeling and sealing the containers and all that other type of good stuff. So we weren't doing a lot of delivery services. We just kind of stayed away from it. And so we weren't doing a ton of takeout. So it wasn't really natural for us to automatically transition into um, takeout and delivery like a lot of other restaurants did. So we kind of shut down for about six to eight weeks. Then we were like, all right, we got to do something. We're like people, there, there are people out there. This isn't going away. Um, people are definitely wanting to eat. Um, and even in the kosher community, we're like, we need to service our, our guest base, you know? And like I said, I would say 80% of our guest base is neighborhood driven right behind us and right in front of us within a two mile radius. And we felt that they needed to have the Milky Way back and they need to have other options. So we slowly redid a whole, um, takeout delivery program, made sure it was 100%, had the mashkias back on, uh, brought in minimal labor, brought management back in, and really had to teach um, our team how to package food now, right? So because now, again, it goes, if, if you're going to take out takeout, whether you're at Hillstone, Grill Concepts, whatever, you don't want just stuff thrown in a paper bag. You know, you're paying a premium, you know, to get takeout and delivery, and you really want to be that that restaurant that's being ordered at least once a week, once a month, whatever it is, you know? So we taught how to bring in the right packaging, package the sauce on the side, make sure that the fries stay crispy, you know, even though I'd rather not serve fries to go because they're never crispy um, <laughs> when they get to you. Um, <laughs> so, but, you know, teaching them, teaching them how to like leave the box cracked open, you know, so the air stays out, so the fried food does stay crispy and it doesn't get soggy, you know, those are types of tricks, you know, sauce on the side, don't overcook the fish because it's going to continue to cook when you put the cover on. There was a lot of little things to, teach the uh the staff before launching takeout and delivery so we finally did launch takeout and delivery around let's say around july middle of july um and it was a slow start 
it was a scary slow start, you know, and again, it was bringing on a limited menu because we wanted to stay with what we were known about, which was, you know, fresh seafood and seasonal ingredients. So we didn't want to be sitting on a lot of product. So we started with a very smaller menu, um, started with slow sales on takeout and delivery, started um, introducing some larger family style meals which I thought was a really uh, a good uh, boost for us. So kind of did like a, you know, uh, feeding up to four and six people, you know, so I would do trays of lasagna, trays of eggplant Parmesan, um, things like that, you know, big Caesar salads on the side, uh, blintzes to go, potato pancakes to go. So it was really nice to do. Um, so the family meals kind of took off, which was a great relaunch as well. Um, and so that was takeout delivery. Then honestly about, for about maybe we're going on five, six weeks now, we decided to launch, we don't have a patio. And like you mentioned earlier, we were able to turn the back parking lot into a sukkah for sukkah and dining, which was unique. But the whole thing with Pico Boulevard is Pico Boulevard is such that thoroughway, you know what I mean, with cars just driving by. So we had to look open. So what we did is we moved um, some of the planters out and we put about seven tables out in front of the restaurant, uh, put some really nice trees out there, some twinkle lights, put some nice umbrellas, and we launched uh, sidewalk dining, which was interesting for Pico Boulevard because as you know how busy it is, you know. Um, it's a very busy, 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 busy street. Uh, we're fortunate enough to be on the corner right there on Goheny. So it, it kind of, it stops, which is good, but it is still very busy and there's a bus stop, you know, down the street. Um, but and, and a lot it, of foot traffic it, that, in general. It is a lot of foot traffic. You get a lot of foot traffic in that area anyway. Yeah. So, um, but what was nice was that it really brought some attention to the front of the restaurant as well. You know, so as you're driving by and with all the restaurants being closed and not even just restaurants, just everything being closed in general in LA, to be able to drive by and all of a sudden see, you know, twinkle lights and big blue umbrellas and, you know, flowers and trees outside, it, it was inviting to, to try to get some of our guests back, you know, and for the first couple of weeks, it was a little bit tough, you know, people were unsure and they're like, oh my God, am I going to be able to do this? Am I not going to be able to do this? And now we're doing good. You know, it's interesting. We're doing good. You know, we used to be open two day parts and now we just go straight through. So now we go from like 11 to eight every day. Um, but we used to do two day parts and it's good. People come in, you know, and they sit on the patio and the patio is full. It's great to see the patio full. It's only seven tables, but when you see seven tables of people enjoying themselves, it's fantastic, you know, but there was a lot involved in, in opening in this COVID world, you know? So it, it wasn't as much as we had training for takeout and delivery, then there was a whole new ball game for training for, you know, serving in a COVID environment, you know, everything from, you know, the gloves and the masks and the shields and sanitation and wiping down tables and, you know, no salt and pepper shakers, no candles. There was a lot involved. Um, I have to say one thing, I mean, this goes back to the credit of the Hillstone restaurant group and grow concepts, you know, I am so detailed oriented and it's just like, again, it's about executing a hundred percent all the time. So there was no way we were going to open up this Milky Way restaurant if we couldn't do it a hundred percent, you know, and make sure that our guest base was safe. And not only our guests, we had to make sure that our team was safe as well, you know, because it's, it's difficult out there, you know, it's yeah. very difficult in this world, you know, but I mean, I have to say we did it, we did it and we're doing it, you know? 
I, I commend you. I mean, it's awesome to see how you've adapted. And as somebody, to your point about takeout, as somebody who ordered takeout from the Milky Way last week, I can tell you, you guys did it perfectly. The fries actually came out great, which never happens. How did often? Did you do delivery? Or yeah, I did delivery. Delivery, or I did delivery. Yeah, I did delivery. Oh, you did delivery. Um, did, oh, yeah, yeah, I got okay. it on Postmates. And I uh, got the fish and chips and nice. the fries turned out really great. That that so rarely happens. So it was it was beautiful to see. And it was it was a great meal. And Fish and chips, I got to say, it's a great comfort food for the end of the day after a long work day. Um, it is. So, so I really enjoyed it. And just kudos to you and your team on making it work at the Milky Way, given all the challenges you have. And uh, I know the community is grateful for the great work you all are doing. Well, that's honestly, that's really what we wanted. That's what we wanted ever since the beginning. You know, honestly, ever since we, we relaunched the Milky Way, it was, it was always about giving back to the community. You know, it, this, it would have been very easy to, you know, have signed off into the sunset, you know, several years ago, you know. Um, but, you know, the, the family is very passionate about giving back to that community you know, and they welcomed Leah many, many years ago. And I, and I really think we pay homage to her by keeping the Milky Way going and, and just moving forward, everything from, you know, the redesign of the restaurant to the, the food of the restaurant. You know, we know that she's there all the time and the family is so happy that we're giving back to the community. And that's really what it's always been about with that, with that restaurant. It's always about giving back to the community. And I think we've, we've, we've done that, you know, so we're just going to continue to do it. Awesome. And on that happy note, we'll wind down with a few rapid fire questions. Firstly, Ooh, okay. what's an app that you can't live without? Oh, kind of pathetic, but it's probably the news app. Fair enough. It's awesome. I read all my news in the morning, everything from, you know, everything, everything that's going on in the world, everything I don't want to know, everything I do want to know. And then obviously all my gossip stuff's in there, music, food, everything's in there. But I, my news app. Awesome. And if there was a film to be made about your life, Chef, who would you like to play you in a movie about your life? Interesting. All right. Um, all right. I'm going to go a little bit different and say uh, it'll be Remy from Ratatouille. Oh, nice. OK. <laughs> a little bit more animated, you know, it's kind of yeah. my world right now, you know. <laughs> if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? Patience. Additional patience. I have patience, but you have to in this business, but additional patience yeah. couldn't hurt. Where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? Uh, Thailand. It was on the list. It was on the list. It was on the list for this year, but then, oh. After the pandemic, probably. <laughs> the, world, the world happened and yeah. it didn't happen. So now I got to push it, but it was so on the list. It was done. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any place specifically in Thailand that you are especially looking forward to? No, I was honestly going to just travel all of it. I really was. I was going to go from coastal to everywhere. I also have a friend up in um, in Singapore as well. So I was going to hit it. I was just going to really honestly just do that whole area for a little bit. Um, but again, like I said, it's just everything's on hold now. So but I was so looking forward to that. Yeah. And lastly, we um, we ask all our guests for a song that they're jamming to right now because we add that to a Spotify playlist of all our guest recommendations. So if there's one contribution you'd like to make to our playlist with the song you're jamming to right now, what would it be? Oh, all right. Well, I do a lot of Spotify mixes and I also do a lot of, uh, you know, I do a lot of like genre mixes. So, but uh, one that's been out a lot um, that I hear is uh, Tom Walker. 
Okay. Are you familiar with that? No. He's like, he does that song, like, Leave the Light On. Um, it's kind of, he's very like Ed Sheeran, John Mayer, kind of, it's a British, kind of British singer, um, but it's a good jam, you know, I just kind of like mellow music right now, either that or I jam into like my old school 80s playlist, which just kind of keeps me going all the time. Are your playlists public or are they, if they're public, we can plug them. No, they're not public. <laughs> okay. <laughs> whatever's on my spotify or whatever's on my sonos at the time yeah. you never know you know and uh <laughs> they're, already, they're already made for me i'm in the kitchen i'm just hitting the button and then i'm you know listening to whatever's coming on so that's awesome and uh where can people find you know the amazing food you're making and check you out on social media and online well you can definitely find the food currently at the milky way um, you know, and, and then for me personally, uh, at PK and J hospitality group, either on Instagram or at or.com. Perfect. And, uh, I think it, I think we know we, we addressed it, but in addition to being such a talented chef, you're also a restaurant consultant. So you have these skills that go way beyond, you know, just, just preparing food. I'm curious, just lastly, real quick, you know, what, what, uh, what does it mean to be a restaurant consultant? What are all these things that you think about outside of just making, you know, the food, the amazing food that we have? Honestly, it's a little bit of everything. So my group can do anything from, again, like restaurant consulting. So as the Milky Way, starting from scratch, you know, and rebranding a restaurant from everything from uh, design, assisting with design, construction, hiring a general manager, doing the front of the house, hiring service, um, all that types of things. I do work, you know, um, independently with a couple of other restaurants as well. They may hire me to either rebrand a menu item or come up with a new menu item. Um, that is obviously my passion is the food. Um, but I do do other things as well. So I assist other companies and partner with other people to uh, help open restaurants. Fantastic. Yeah. And you can learn all about it at pknjhospitalitygroup.com. And if you're interested in the podcast, you could check us out at hdydpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. Thank you so much, Jeff. This was super insightful. We love your food and can't wait to enjoy more meals and uh, whatever fun surprises like date night in the suka that you have cooked up for us in the future. Thank you for having me. It was great.